Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, from verse 4 to 14, and I'll read it. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome again to Reality Church London. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Bijan, the pastor for our church, and so excited to be looking at this passage today. Now, before we do, and I do this occasionally because in the deepest part of my soul, I feel a tremendous amount of gratitude for all the leaders in our church who make every Sunday possible And when you walk in, there's a connect team, there's coffee, there's people taking care of our kids and the young people in our church. I mean, there's so much that goes into what happens on a Sunday. And I just like to publicly say thank you to our leaders and would ask, join me and let's thank our leaders for all the ways that they serve. It really is, when we talk about the church as a family, it's really true. And every Sunday as I gather here with you all, I'm so reminded that we do this together. And so a huge thanks to all of our leaders. Uh, We're in Jeremiah 29 today. I'm really excited about this passage and this sermon. But let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at these words together. Our God, thank you for gathering us in this place to now look at your word. And so as this passage was just read a few moments ago, we give you thanks that we are, by the power of your spirit, able to read and to understand and to apply what your word says. So give us your help now as we look at this great text, and we ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the past few weeks here at Reality Church London, we've been in a series looking at our church's vision and values. Each week we're looking at passages of scripture which shape and animate the kind of church we are and the kind of church we hope to be in the future. 
Now, we've been looking at those values, and we've already seen three of them, that we're a church that values bringing people to Jesus Christ, following Jesus every day, and belonging to each other in the church. Now, we're shifting to our fourth value, what it means that we're a church that's passionate about engaging London with the whole gospel. And so, beginning today and for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a church in and for the city, a church that engages London with the fullness of God's story. And so I couldn't be more excited because we're a church in London. We're a church for London. And the question that's going to guide our time today and in the next few weeks is, as individuals and as a church, how should we relate to our city? That's a question that Christians have been asking for thousands of years. What should our posture be towards London? And in my opinion, there's no better place to look in all the Bible than Jeremiah 29 for an answer to that question. Because in the verses that you just heard read, God himself writes a letter to his people who were living in Babylon. That was the biggest city in the world at the time. And God writes a letter to his people in Babylon and says, this is how I want you to relate to your city. And I think as we look at this letter, we'll see God's instruction, not just for them, but God's heart for us as we relate to London. And so as we look at this text, God says four things about how you should relate to the city. He says, first, be rooted in the city. Second, work for the good of your city. Third, stand out in the city. And then fourth, live with hope. Be rooted, work for the good, stand out, and live with hope. That's how God wants you, that's how he wants us to relate to our city. So let's take a look. The first thing God says is be rooted in the city. And this is there in verse 5 of our passage. God says to his people, build houses and settle down. Be rooted. Hedy Lalleman, in her great commentary on the book of Jeremiah, summarizes that phrase like this. She says, God is saying, live as if you were home. Live as if you were home. Now, to understand why God is telling his people to be rooted in the city, we have to spend just a minute understanding the historical background for Jeremiah 29. Here's what's happened. God's people have been taken into exile. They were living in Judah and their capital city, Jerusalem. But the world superpower at the time, Babylon, came invading. And they took over the city of Jerusalem. They began destroying the city. And they began carrying some of God's people into exile. They literally took them and carried them to Babylon, to a neighboring foreign city. And so God's people at the time of this letter are in a state of exile. They've been taken away from their home. And what happened as that exile unfolded is certain false prophets or false teachers arose and they were saying to God's people who were now in exile, don't worry, Babylon is going to be judged, the exile is going to be over soon, it'll just be a year or two and then you get to go back home. And so the false prophets were saying to the people, you're not going to be there for long. And the result of that message from the false prophets was God's people in the city isolated themselves from the city. 
They said, we're not going to be in Babylon long. It's the big city. It's the godless city. It's a forsaken city. And so rather than settle, we're going to isolate. We're just going to interact with other people who are just like us, and we're going to avoid the stain of the city, the big bad city. And we're just going to hold on until we can get out of here. That was the message of the false prophets. Don't get involved in the city. You're not going to be there very long. Now, I hate to say it, but since Jeremiah's day, that attitude has persisted in some communities of God's people. In some churches, in some Christian circles, the idea is that a city like London is a place to avoid. Maybe at best it's a necessary evil, but it's the big, bad, godless city. And so if you go there, be really careful. Don't get tainted by the city. Keep your distance. Find pockets of Christian community and don't get out of those spaces. That attitude has been part of the story of God's people since it was in Jeremiah's day with the message of the false prophets. And God says to his people, that's not going to work. And so God himself takes up a pen and he writes a letter to his people to reveal what his heart is for the city. To tell his people how he wants them to love and relate to their city. And the first thing he says to them is be rooted. Build houses and settle down. God's saying you're going to be there for a while. So I want you to plant some roots. What God is telling his people is to adopt a mindset shift. From transience to rootedness. From avoidance to embeddedness. He's saying Babylon is your home and I want you to live like it is. Because you're going to be there for a while. Move into a mindset that this is your new home. Now, we need to hear this message today as much as the people did in Jeremiah's day. Because one of the characteristics of a big city like London is transience. This is actually one of the hardest parts about living in a city like London. People are always coming to the city, and people are always leaving the city. Some of you came here for a degree, others for an internship or a job. Some of you came because you just wanted to have fun. Others came to London because you were looking for a new start, and you thought this is the place where you could find it. So people are always coming to the city. And then at the same time, people are always leaving for a new job or for a less expensive place to live or because of a family need or change. And so the city is marked by transience, and it always will be. I'm not saying that there's ever a time or a way in which this city won't be a transient one, but here's what I am saying. It's not for me to tell you how many months or years you need to live in London, but what this passage is telling us is that while you're here, be here. Adopt a mindset that says this is home. And whether it's for three months or for 30 years, this is the place where I'm to be settled. This is the place where I'm to plant roots. It's a mindset shift from, I'm just here for a year or two, and then I'll go home, to this is home. I don't know for how long, but this is where I'm to settle. And now this being rooted mindset is so important because until we see ourselves as rooted in the city, we're not going to serve the city. Until we see ourselves as being at home here, we're not going to have the imagination and the motivation that we need to engage with the city. But when you see yourself as rooted, you move from just consumer to citizen. To say not just what can I get, 
but what can I give to love and serve this city? Lots of people come to London because of what they can get from it. A degree, a few awesome lines on a resume, a really great time. And none of those things are bad. But as God's people, what he's saying is you're in Babylon not just to get, but to give. To invest in the city. And when you begin to relate to the city as home, the place where you're settled down, that's where love and service flows out of. So God is saying, first, be rooted. While you're there, be there. Live like your home. Be rooted in the city. And while you're rooted, the next thing God says is, I want my people to work for the good of the city. To work for the city's good. There in verse 7, God says that he wants his people to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. That's what we're charged to do. Seek London's peace and prosperity. Now, that phrase, peace and prosperity, it's a phrase that actually is translating one Hebrew word. And the word is shalom. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, the word shalom is just translated as peace. But the reason why I love what this passage does in saying peace and prosperity is when you and I hear the word peace, we often think that what we mean by that is the absence of conflict. So peace is when people aren't fighting or when there isn't hostility. And of course, peace is part of that. But peace in the Bible, shalom in the Bible, is not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of flourishing. Shalom is goodness in every direction. Shalom is when everything is working and flourishing as it's meant to be. And God says, I have put you in the city to help that city experience flourishing. Goodness in every direction. And if you go farther in the passage, look at what God says. He says, when the city flourishes or seeks its prosperity, you too will flourish. God is saying your well-being, your welfare is actually tied to the welfare of the city. It's an astounding thing. When the city prospers, you'll prosper. And so what God is telling his people is I've put you in the city, not so you can enjoy it yourself, but so you can build the city of flourishing for all its people. We're to work for the good of the whole city. And that includes, by the way, Babylon was a place that was religiously, culturally different. And God says, yes, there's differences, and I want you to work for the good of the whole city. That means as a church, we're called to bring flourishing in the city, even into places and with people who don't believe what we believe and who don't share our values. This is still our city. And God says, when it flourishes, you'll flourish. Now, what's interesting as the passage goes on is God actually gives his people a little bit of guidance about how they work for the good of their city. He says two things specifically that I want to call your attention to. He says, first, build community. It's there in verse 6. God says, marry and have sons and daughters. Now, what's interesting is when God says to people, get married, the implicit command is build community because marriages don't just spring out of nowhere. You don't marry people you don't know. And so when God says marry, what he's saying is, I want you to invest in all kinds of human community. I want you to build friendships. I want you to get to know your neighbors, get to know your colleagues, and do life in a full way in this city. And I want you to do it for generations. I want there to be children coming. 
In other words, God is saying, you need to build friendship. You need to get relationally connected in your city. And so to be really practical, what that means for a group of Christians, a church like ours, is yes, it's absolutely essential to have friendships inside the church in which you do life with other Christians, absolutely. But if we're going to have an impact for good in London, it's going to mean also building real friendships with people who aren't identifying as Christians. Having friendships with people who maybe don't have our same faith values. But in those relationships, we become agents of God's kingdom, his light, his flourishing, as we get to know the people who are our baristas and at our gym and our colleagues and our neighbors. God's saying, build community. Get relationally connected. And the second thing God says, and I love this, verse five, plant gardens and eat what they produce. What's a garden? You know, what does a garden do? A garden produces food, which nourishes bodies, and it produces beauty, which nourishes souls. And God's saying in the city, I want you to produce things that help people practically and restore people, you might say, emotionally or socially as soul beings. We create practical goods and we advance beauty. Now, next week, as a church, when we gather, we're going to talk all about what it means to serve the city in broken places. Mercy and justice, that's next week. But what we're saying today is a city like London is a place where there's tons of beauty. There's art and there's industry and there's professional expertise and there's families and there's culture and there's sport. All of those things are beautiful. And God says, I want you to so participate in the life of the city that you advance it. And that as Christians, you become agents of helping people experience beauty and practical nourishment. Now here's what that means, and this is so crucial for us to understand. There is sometimes in our hearts a creeping understanding that true spirituality is what pastors do on Sunday. So the professional Christians are the ones who stand up here and do the spiritual stuff, and the rest of the church is doing secular work. Have you heard that phrase? What this passage is trying to say is that way of thinking is not biblical. There is actually, in God's economy, no distinction between the sacred and the secular. But all work planting gardens is work that can bring God glory. Because everything we do to help the city flourish reflects the kingdom of God. I'll give you an example. There's a brother in our church who, I'm using this example with permission, by the way. There's a brother in our church who's a sound engineer by training. And so this past Thursday night, he was at a jazz club in East London mixing music so that people could come and listen. Do you know what that is? That's planting a garden. What he's doing is he's taking instruments and noise and what could be chaos, and he's organizing it and ordering it into beauty so that people can come and they're burdened by their day or they're exhausted because of strain and they come to this jazz club and they hear something beautiful and for a moment their heart is lifted and they experience transcendence and they're healed. Now why is that? Well, because God is the author of all beauty. God made music 
And God made our souls to respond to music. And so when we help people enjoy that, we're doing God's work. You see, this is what it means to plant gardens. And whether you're in law or in banking or in the arts or caring for children, all this work that we do in this city is part of God's work to help it flourish. And so God says, be rooted and work for the good of your city. It's goodness in every direction that God says, I care about. Build community, plant gardens, invest and work and build things that contribute to the flourishing of this city. This is God's invitation to his people. And he says, as you're doing that, as you're working for the good of the city, I want you to stand out. I want you to stand out. That is, in verse 7, God tells his people, pray for your city. Pray for your city. That is to say, you are a spiritual people. You are my followers. And so as you work for the good in every direction, as you invest in your jobs and in your vocations and in your relationships, I want you to maintain your spiritual identity. I want you to look like my followers. Pray for the city. Follow me in the city and help others know me in the city. Now, here's where God's calling us to a remarkable balance. Because on one hand, God's telling his people, be rooted, plant your roots, get into the city, have friendships, plant gardens, get rooted. But on the other hand, God is saying, but make sure you keep your unique identity as my follower. Stand out. Don't lose all of your Christian distinctness. In the words of Jesus, God is saying, be in the city, but don't be of the city. You're to be rooted, but you're not to look the same as everyone else in the city. You're supposed to have a set of values and a a set of principles that guide you as God's people while you're working for the good of your city. So this means being rooted, but also being different. This means, for example, that we relate to money different than the way others in London do. How do people in London relate to this money? Well, many ways. But for lots of people in London, what is money? It's a way of keeping score. It's a way of seeing who's really got the power. And so we use money as a way to keep score and to advance reputation. And God's saying money isn't bad. But as my people, I want you to relate to your money in a way that looks different. Not as a way of keeping score, but as a way to love and serve. As a way to use your resources to empower others. In other words, we're in the city, we're embedded in the city, but we relate to the city differently. And we have different values which guide us in the city. The way Jesus described this was being salt and light. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, the way I want you to engage with your society is like salt and light. Deeply embedded and yet deeply different. One author writing about salt and light puts it this way, These two images of salt and light are intended to portray two aspects of Christian discipleship. These aspects are often not easy to balance. Engagement and distinctiveness. As salt, Jesus' disciples must be engaged in the world. But as light, they must never allow their engagement to lead to compromise of kingdom values and their full assimilation with the world. And so that's the balance that God is calling his people to. Embeddedness and distinctness. Salt and light. But 
If you've ever tried walking on a balance beam, you know that striking a balance is hard. And so God says to his people, I want you to be rooted. I want you to work for the good of the city. Keep your identity as my followers. And many of you, even as you hear a sermon like this, are saying, you don't understand. I am just completely overwhelmed by the city. It's too expensive. I'm too lonely. Everything is 45 minutes away. Like, I am completely overwhelmed by the city. And so you're talking about all this stuff, and I'm just trying to catch my breath. How do we, as God's people, relate to London like this? How do we relate to the city the way God says he wants his people to relate to it? And here's the answer. We have to live with hope in God's coming city. We have to live with hope in God's coming city. You see, you remember when God wrote this letter to his people, they were not in Babylon by choice. They were carried there. And it would have been easy for them to hate their city because they were in captivity. And God says, no, I want you to adopt my heart. I want you to love Babylon. I want you to serve Babylon. When it flourishes, you flourish. And you can imagine the people saying, we don't have that strength in ourselves. We don't have the ability to love this city the way you're calling us to because we're overwhelmed by it or we're angry at it or we're disappointed in it. How, God, do you expect us to actually love the city? And that's what the rest of the passage is about. Because in the remaining verses of Jeremiah 29, God gives his people a promise. And I want to read that promise to you. In verse 10, God says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. That's God saying, I'm going to bring you home. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And then down in verse 14, God says, I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, and I'll bring you back to this place from which I carried you into exile. This is what the Lord is saying. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you home. While you're in Babylon, I want you to love this city. I want you to serve this city. I want you to give it everything you have. But I also always want you to keep one eye on the horizon because one day you're going to get to come home and everything sad is going to come untrue. The exile will be over. You'll be home again. And God is saying that promise for the future is what's going to sustain you in the present. You'll be able to love and serve your city now to the degree that you know home is coming in your future. And so God gives his people this promise. I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring you home. You love Babylon today, but home is coming in your future. That's the promise. And the question for us is, do we have a similar promise? Do we have a promise from God about our future? And we do. But it's not the promise to go back to Jerusalem. It's the promise of God's kingdom. You see, Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, was gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And while he was there, knowing that in a matter of hours, he would be betrayed by his friends, and Jesus, too, would be carried out of the city, his own exile. 
but he would not just be carried out of the city, he would be killed on a cross. And Jesus, knowing that that was coming, knowing that he was about to be plunged into the ultimate exile, Jesus looked at his friends and he said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms and if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Jesus gives this astounding promise to his disciples. Right now, on the eve of exile, your hearts are weighed down with grief. But I'm giving you a promise, Jesus says. I will come back. I'm going to bring you home so that you can be with me where I am. And that's an astounding thing for Jesus to say. It's an astounding thing for someone who knows they're hours away from death to say, I'll be back. I mean, he's about to die. And Jesus knows that through his death on the other side is resurrection, that Jesus will defeat death. He will come through the ultimate exile and he will come back to his people. And he did. The Bible recounts how Jesus returns to his people and says to them, rejoice. It's almost as if he's saying, I told you I'd be back. And throughout the story of the New Testament, we live as these people with attention that we're called to love and serve our city, recognizing that one day Jesus will come back and God's kingdom will come and the world will be restored and everything sad will come untrue. To say it differently, many of you came to London to heal an ache that's in your heart. You came to find a relationship or a job or an opportunity that you thought would satisfy you. And if you're anything like me who's lived in big cities for the past 11 years, you find that oftentimes you love the city and sometimes the city crushes you. Sometimes you're so disappointed in the city. And the only way that we're going to move from a consumer mindset that says, what do I get and is London satisfying me to how do we love and serve the city is if we hear in our souls Jesus saying, I'm coming back and I'm going to bring you home. I've defeated death. I went through the ultimate exile. And because I did, you can have hope in the present. You can love London. You can serve London. And you can recognize that London was never meant to fill the ache in your soul. Only I can do that. And when you rest in Christ, when you rest in his accomplishment, when you hear his promise, then we become a community that can selflessly love and serve the city. It's hope in God's future that fuels service in the present. C.S. Lewis put it this way, hope is one of the theological virtues Hope means a continual looking forward to the eternal world, not as a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that Christians are meant to do. It does not mean that we leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the coming world that they have become so ineffective in this one. It's Christ's promises we have hope. Root ourselves in Jesus. 
and then be rooted in this city. And let's work for its good, living with hope in God's coming city. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for Jeremiah 29 and the promises that are here. And so now as we come to a time of response and surrender, we ask you to use us for your glory in this city. But Lord, today I know for that to happen, it's going to be because some of us, all of us, see your city, your coming city more clearly. That we see Jesus and what he's done, his sacrifice and his love for us, which frees us and and changes us to love and serve our city. So right now, as we sing and as we respond, give us a sense of your presence, closeness to Jesus Christ. And through that, Lord, help us to be agents of good in this city. We pray all this together for your glory and for the good of our city, doing so in Jesus' name. Amen.